As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, we're talking Ivan Tony's back and Brentford get, well, better. A Liverpool remaining Premier League pace setter and a mighty win for the side coach by Arteta. All of that plus amazing AFCON back to square one, the origins of, and what it's really like to be a referee. It's the Totally Football Show. Hey, listener, greetings from Sunday the 21st of January. How's the 22nd looking? Hope it's good right now. I'm here with JJ Bull. Hi, JJ. Hello, James. Nice to see you. Such Gurinov's back. Such has been ages. A couple of months. Hi, James. That's been a while, isn't it? You've been busy. You had a big Saturday. Too many goals. Too many goals. Also with us, Daniel Story. All right, Daniel. Hi, James. Hey, you've had a big week. You... You spent time with referees this week. Yes, thoughts with me, etc. and so on. Uh, yep, I went to a a referee development camp, I think is what they call it. Oh, yeah. Referee development group camp. Basically because everyone says that we need more referees and we need better referees. So I thought I'd go and see how they're trying to do it. Are they making any? It's, it was genuinely incredibly fascinating. Not just the stuff I learned, which I might talk about a bit later, but yeah, just... The sheer amount of enthusiasm amongst a group of potential referees is, yeah, I, I was sort of half questioning their sanity. Like, you do know, like, your, people are going to scream at you and abuse you on social media and question your family heritage. You do know that's going to happen from now on if you make it. They're like, yeah, it'll be fine. Oh, good. good are you, are you, were you tempted at all, Daniel? They kicked the day off with a you are the referee uh, question and you were mm. so into it. Yeah, I am. I, I think it's interesting, but I think it's one of those things that's in far, far better at sort of slightly secondhand than actually experiencing it yourself. Um, the stuff that blew my mind was how much they study things like tactics and pressing programmes and which player is going to trigger the press and all this. So they know basically where they have to be on the pitch. Um, they talk about the example of a goal kick like 20 years ago. A goal kick would mean aerial duel between striker and centre-half, so you'd stand just over the halfway line. Now you have to be in this kind of no-man's land because they might play it short and there might be a foul on the edge of the box with some pressing. And You basically have to be in about eight places at once. Mm. And 
Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Oh, magnificent. Excellent. Referees involved in contentious decisions in this weekend's Premier League matches. There are only four so far. Got one coming up on Monday, of course. But for now, you've got Saturday. There were 10 goals across the two matches. Arsenal beating Crystal Palace 5-0. Number five goals, two at the GTEC Stadium. Three of them for Brentford, but only two for Nottingham Forest. Bees ending their long victory drought. Sunday, 2-2 at Bramwell Lane between Sheffield United and West Ham. While Bournemouth-Liverpool was very much a game of two halves. Pretty uh, arid affair in the first of them. But then Liverpool all over the cherries in the second are running up 4-0 winners. All right. How's about we start off with that one? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Gomez, it's not a bad ball at all, what a cross! And it's Nunez again! The Reds are really on a roll. It's Nunez again, and that was Sunday afternoon. Liverpool 4-0 winners there at the Vitality Stadium. Daniel, you write the excellent The Score roundup. This is the one game you actually haven't written yet. So what should Daniel be putting in his column, JJ and, and Sash? Well, the first half wasn't very entertaining. Mm. And both teams seemed to cancel each other out. And then I think in the second half, it came to life and Liverpool just slowly sort of squeezed them to death and then were able to, to take it, I guess. So the first half saw a combined XG of 0.28 and it didn't feature a single shot from inside the box from either team. The first Premier League game not to have a shot from inside the box from either side for four years. Remarkable, given the kind of form these two teams were in. Why, Sash? I'd say it's not that remarkable, because oh. if, you, if you look at Liverpool after a prolonged break, in this case, I think it was about 10, 11 days, it always feels like the first half back, it feels like Liverpool need to be reprogrammed to whatever they do again. So I expected something to be quite bitty. Plus, you know, as Duncan Alexander mentioned on Thursday, Bournemouth are quite disruptive. So in that first half, you know, there wasn't really much to watch, apart from one foul. We might come back to that. But what we did see in the first half was diagonals from Konate. And it was diagonal from Konate that led to the knockdown, that led to that very elegant goal with which Liverpool opened the scoring. And I think after that, we saw um, what Jota is there for, probably best finisher at Liverpool. And also... Again, once again, Salah goes to AFCON and Jota really, really steps up. So two goals today, fine finishes and assist. And I think this, this is important because if you look at Liverpool's bench today, same as against Fulham like the, the other week, there's only really a couple of players that you could look at and think they will affect the change. And today, you know, they came on again, Gakpo and Gravenberg, and, you know, they've added that little bit extra to Liverpool. And I feel if I look at Liverpool this season, the second half is almost always better than the first. It's almost as if in the first half they tried to figure out just to see where the gaps are. And the second half, they implement the substitutions, which I think have worked very well. So I think this is, this is very good for Liverpool. And yet again, Daniel, I'll, I'll give you one for why Liverpool should be able to challenge for the league. Against the teams outside the big six, they have now won 14 and drawn two. And that is basically league-winning form. Because I figure it's, you need to win about 24 out of those 28 games. And that's what they're doing. Against the bottom 10, 10 wins, one draw. The draw against Luton. So they're picking up those points, even though they're not necessarily be beating the other points in the big six. But that's that's where you rack up the points. There you go, Daniel. Five points clear, Man City. Jurgen Klopp. So what did you, what did you make of events down on the coast? Yeah, I mean, the, the first half was absolutely dreadful. I think the wind played a part as well, actually. Last I mean, time there, as well in November. Of, yeah, there's a number of times that trying to players trying to head the mm -hmm. ball and having to let it bounce. Look quite a Sunday league. I loved uh, Jota's first goal because. 
I really hate it when fans go like, wee, when someone gets something wrong. Generally, it's a goalkeeper shanking and clearance, and they go, wee, and I really like it when they go, wee, and the ball stays in play. And there was a perfect example for this goal, because Joss completely misses his kick and the ball loops, and then all the Bournemouth fans sort of, wee, and he just smashes it across the keeper with his next touch. Runs all the way through to Bradley on this right-hand side. Back it comes to Jota. He miscues, might get another go. Oh, he does get another go. That is the end of the game. Diogo Jota. It was as if the Bournemouth player was sort of enjoying the way and just letting Jota do what he wants. So that's the most times I'll ever say way in a two-minute segment. <laughs> and I tell you what, which is, what is good, same thing happened to Nunez in November. Mm-hmm. They did the way and then he scored the worldie. So maybe right, they when learn. he failed to yeah. control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. More ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he had a good game as well, eh? Darwin Nunez, two goals. I mean, this is the first time he scored a brace since... He came on a substitute against Newcastle, turned that game. And I think, you know, he's always involved. And again, I was looking at his stats, 45 touches, 7 in the box, quite on par, you know, 30, 20 out of 35 passes completed. But today, the key thing was three shots, three shots on target. And he's, he's scoring two good finishes as well. Boom. I think he's the first player to get 10 goals and 10 assists in the Premier League. He is. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, yeah, he does this. We always say it about Salah. He kind of, he has this ability to look really bad before looking brilliant. And Nunes sort of feels like an upgrade even on that. He can look farcical at times, comical. But he, he's, one thing he would say, he, he doesn't seem to let anything affect him. He will miss chances and then he will come back immediately and do exactly the same thing and back himself. And I think we know Liverpool well enough under Klopp that that's probably the first thing Klopp looks for in a player above everything else is that kind of relentlessness to, if I get it wrong, I'll go again. And mm. it, it does make a difference in games like today. 10 goals and 10 assists so far for this season for Darwin Nunes. Should we have a word for the work of Konate at the other end, shutting down whatever the Cherries were trying to put together? Yeah, well, I think Konate's been really... I, I really like him, Konate. I think he's a great player. And obviously that, that slight tackle he throws himself into to get on there. I thought other players in the back line were maybe more impressive. Though. I thought like Connor Bradley's really young. I saw him pre-season. I thought he was really impressive. And he did very well. And it's changed the way they play a little bit because Alexander-Arnold's coming inside a lot, but Bradley's definitely an outside kind of fullback. So going up the wing an awful lot more. And then Joe Gomez has then become the uh, inverted... Well, no, it's not inverted now. Michael Cox wants to call it the halfback, I think he calls right. it. He's a halfback yeah. now. Halfback now, yeah. So then you, you go inside the pitch that way. And I thought Gomez was great at doing that too. It's actually... I think it's a good look at how well Jurgen Klopp has moulded this Liverpool team. So many young players have come through with him there and he makes them really, really good. Like, you don't have to buy these players. Curtis Jones, I think, is phenomenal. And then Bradley now looks like a Premier League player. Owen Beck came on later on. He was at Dundee first half of the season. Uh, it seems to have done very well. I haven't watched enough of him, but apparently he's done very well. And then he came in and he was great. He was uh, fundamental, instrumental in the, the last goal, wasn't Fourth, it? Fourth, yeah. And he drove up to the halfway line, just had a go with it. That's brave. Doing that when you come on for your and, and, and I think this this is interesting how Klopp does this, you know, when everyone's screaming for signings and stuff. He has something in the back of his mind. And you know, the two young substitutions, uh, including Conor Bradley, who came on against Arsenal to a great tactical effect. And now he's in the team. But I think also what's impressive with Liverpool as well this season, so many ways of playing, because if you look at today, the first church right flank is missing. And Conor Bradley in there fitting in, they're trying to figure out who should be on the right. Maybe Jot looked better there. But effectively, this is, would be the second choice. And it's, I think it's very impressive. How concerned were you at the news from AFCON, Sash, about Mo Salah? The latest news is he's going to miss two games mm. if, if they get that far, which I think they should get out of the group, I mean, where they are. But, um, but at the same time, Jota stepping up in his absence, other players step up in his absence. And I think he, he, obviously Liverpool would 
would absolutely need them to be in a game change towards the end of the season. But I think a few games they could cope with it. In the longer term, they do, of course, they need them back. OK, well, they certainly did all right without him on this Sunday. Next up for Liverpool, a trip to Craven Cottage. That's Wednesday, second leg of their Carabao Cup semi-final. They're, of course, 2-1 up from the first leg. Chelsea on Tuesday will be hosting at Championship side Middlesbrough. Uh, they're a goal down uh, from the first leg at the Riverside. Uh, over in Yorkshire, earlier on on Sunday, there was that 2-2 draw between Sheffield United and West Ham, Daniel. Uh, what a finale on this one. Absolutely amazing injury time. And a, a just reward for those of us who watch the rest of the game. I mm. So uh, it was a 103rd minute penalty. The actual foul had happened many minutes before, but there was a certain delay before Ollie McBurney stepped up to um, to earn the Blades uh, the equaliser. It actually is the latest goal in Premier League history. Oh, beaten quits. Yeah. Oh. That was 101st minute. This was 103rd. So the... There was a VAR check and then there was uh, a long period when Adiola was getting some treatment for a split lip incurred in the foul, which basically he'd come out and taken out McBurney and McBurney had put a little bit on him as well. And then David Moyes, I think, was this the thinking to try and extend the, the nerve-wracking weight for the penalty taker, decided to sub his keeper and, and bring on the Fabianski, but to, to no avail because... After McAtee had basically absorbed the pressure holding the ball, he handed it to McBurney, who equalised. Is the point any use to the Blades? No, it isn't, really. I mean, they are in huge trouble. They they basically need to win games like this because they're not winning any away. Um, I do like this idea now that a player soaks up responsibility for another player, but it's going to get worked out quite quickly. We're going to end up with a kind of pre-penalty man-marking system where everyone has responsibility for sort of getting in the face of one of the other players and covering all bases. But yeah, it was a, it was a farcical end to the game. Vladimir Sufal, what he was doing, I've no idea. He's kind of completely lost his head. He got booked for descent in the Rian Brewster red card and then just lunges into a challenge, concedes a free kick, slows the game down again. Yeah, West Ham will be... I mean, David Moyes had a yeah. He had a face like a man who looked had been just been told that set piece goals are being banned. He mm. looked yeah. He looked really angry after and the game. Did he have the face of a man who'd just seen Jared Byrne being taken out in the penalty box, but not been given a penalty for him? <sighs> yeah, that one was. I I thought that was a bit. It was. It wasn't quite six one half dozen another, but it was about five seven, and therefore I can I can get on board with yeah. I'm not intervening with that. Mm. I can't tell that one either. I've watched that a few times now. And it looks like he's sort of leaning backwards because he knows that... Because uh, I think Ahmed Hosea just got his hands around him and knows it. Because it looks yeah. like he's thrown him to the ground, but he's not. It just sort of falls oh, down and takes him with you. Right. Yeah. Got you, got you. Sheffield United currently in last place, of course, and seven, seven points behind Everton in 17th. So escape looks a, a little bit of a tall order. The, the difference this season being that teams like Everton could well be seeing further points deductions, not just them, but the team immediately above them in 16th, Nottingham Forest, of course. So I, I don't know. If if the Blades could put a run together... I can't see it. No. I mean, the, what's the expected goals? 16.2, the goals 4 of 15. So they're slightly underperforming, but they're still not creating anywhere near enough, and they're bottom of like every single metric, basically. Is that right? They are bottom of everything, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've, okay. they've scored, what is it now, four fewer than Burnley? And also, they're going to have to be a striker down as well. I think... Rian Brewster really is a study in sadness. I mean, he moved there from Liverpool for 
must be close to 20 million pounds about mm. three and a half years ago. Mm. He was fi- so high potential. Yeah, he was very, I mean, it's almost like as if they hyped him to get lots of money for him. Maybe he wasn't that good, but he's got five goals since. Today he comes on, kind of his chance. Stupendously stupid foul. Is, is Wilder going to give him another chance after mm. this? Given that Wilder is obviously looking at players and what can they do for him? Yeah. Well, this guy comes on, gets the set of 30 minutes later. When you mention fouls, Sasha, I'm, I'm reminded that we never got to talk about that incident from the first half of the, the Bournemouth-Liverpool game that I think you were keen to I think, share your views on. This was Justin Cliver. Yeah, I didn't want to labour it, but mm. it's. I think the thing that struck me was it, it's, it's, it's carbon copy of what happened to Curtis Jones. Right. And that was a red card that wasn't rescinded. So they obviously looked at it again and went, right, that should be a red card. In this case, it was, but also I got quite annoyed by the, by the commentary because they didn't even dwell on it. They just went, oh, yeah, you know, he didn't mean it. Off we oh, go. They, it didn't get booked. A fair amount at halftime. They, they halftime they did, it, yeah. but but at the time I was kind of, I was quite, quite puzzled genuinely by the reaction. Once they looked at it again, I went, oh, that's fine. You know, he, he doesn't mean it, just, therefore it's uh, okay. What do, you, what do you think? I thought it would, well, I, no, I, it's a, again, it's one of those that it just looks really bad when you slow it down to frame per second rates. But I think, I think what, what helped him is that there was a kind of tussle in which he was sort of shoved a little bit into it. I think that's probably what saved him. Because at full speed, it looks like just a kind of bustling mm. motion. I think he probably did catch him, of course. But I, I, I mean, I didn't think the Curtis James one was a red. Well, that, that's, that's anyway. the thing. So I think if one of them is red, I think that for the other. But also mm. interesting thing that Rayo said at halftime, that he wanted them to be aggressive in the duels. So, you know, it wasn't as if he was just putting his foot in there and sort of walking off. You know, I think they were supposed to get stuck in. Mm. But, um, yeah, but, I, you know, in terms of referees, did they, you know, on the refereeing course... Um, Daniel, did they go into any high-profile cases and say, well, what would you do here? What do we learn from this? I mean, yeah, yeah they, they did. Um, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I was obviously left just absolutely kind of brain-spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one which was about whether there'd been contact for... Um, it was a non-VAR game, it was an EFL game, but it was about kind of enough contact for a penalty. And they show it at full speed and they show it from a, diff- from a camera angle which is behind it, which is basically what the refs got. And I'm just there thinking, like, how on earth is a referee ever going to be able to know, A, was there contact, B, how much contact? If there wasn't enough contact, does that mean it's not enough for a penalty but nothing? Or does that mean that it's simulation and therefore it's a yellow? It's, I just I just cannot believe that people aren't... It's, it's astonishing to me. And, and the, the, fact, the other thing is that, that struck me while watching that is... I don't know if you remember, but in pre-season this season, there was a video went viral of Yuri Tielemans playing pre-season for Villa... Uh, in the Premier League Cup in America and he had a, a body cam on his chest mm. and it was it, basically everyone just went mad at how fast the game was and and it is that and and I just they they think they're effectively they're making around 300 decisions a game and in some of those decisions you're probably thinking about four or five things and you're also having to have an eye on what's going on elsewhere plus you have VAR in your ear as well over. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, for example, one thing they said is when a corner gets given, it used to be just you went in the box and waited for the corner to be delivered. Now you have to know, are they likely to take it short? Do I need to make sure the players are 10 yards or do they want to take it so quickly that they're they're happy with that? I've I've got to be looking at least three or four sections of grappling in the box. Do I need to stop the corner being taken to have a word? Just, I just felt knackered listening to it, honestly. I mean... You know that bit in um, the was it the Arsenal documentary where Mikel Arteta is making uh, players play with they're playing they'll never walk alone in training. He's trying to simulate the, <laughs> yeah, the harsh okay. conditions of Anfield. Uh, was there anything in the referees thing where they have like <laughs> people just deliberately Me gas- screaming and yeah, shouting abuse, just like gaslighting the referee and saying like, oh, you're, but you're not really here, or, like you're not really a ref-, you know. Well, one of the I mean, 
you know, to be to 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 make it a kind of semi-serious point about that. One of the reasons Anthony Taylor is there, he's there for this kind of situation management training, but he's also there to basically try and get across to these very enthusiastic twenty-something people who have progressed really quickly um, that there's a hell of a lot of pressure and abuse coming their way, and they're going to have to try and not let it deal affect them and try not to let it affect their family. You know, Sam Barrett is a, a new Premier League referee. You know, he 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 refereed a game and he got quite a lot of abuse after it. Marco Silva came out of the game and said he, sh- you know, he's too young. He shouldn't, should he, you know, we need to be careful about referees being too young. And there's all this stuff made about his age. And he kind of said, I wanted to ignore it and just not see my bag for a few days. But they have to train every day and he's got an appointment in four days. It's like, it's, it's pretty relentless. It really is. Mm. Did you come away thinking that it is a special breed of human that is able to do that? Or could a lot of people do it with the right training, Daniel? No, I I thought that beforehand. I thought, and I said this to 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 someone there. I I'm not being snide here. I said I I assumed it would be full of kind of geeky young guys who maybe wanted to be in football, but you know were never going to be a player. Mm. Actually, uh, there was at least well, there was there's one former professional player in there. There was that I spoke to. There were three semi-pro. One of them, the 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 female officials there was a semi-pro. So. They just look like footballers now, you know. They, you saw them in the in the, some of the photos in the piece in the gym session that they're, that they're doing now with the personal trainers and the sports psychologists and the nutritionists. They are just athletes. That's what kind of shocked me. I'm used to this 1990s definition of a referee as like looking like a schoolmaster and sounding like a schoolmaster, and actually they're they're not anymore. They're just yeah, they they are very very much athletic, and therefore they were basically yeah completely different to what I thought. They right. they also obviously love football you know that's the other thing they say they're all just like we we absolutely love football like my dream is to be is to get to the top of my game so I can you know I can be on the pitch with you know a world cup final I, just like players grew up wanting to play in a world cup final a referee wants to referee in a world yeah. cup final get a tattoo of it after as well extraordinary though as you say 300 decisions in a game while running to keep up with top-level professional athletes. Make any kind of decision while engaged in physical yeah. activities, not the easiest there's thing. A, mm. There's one thing they, they, they said, there was a, a Premier League game. I, I don't think they told me if they did, I've, I've forgotten it. Um, but they made someone made a comment about the referee doing more sprints than any player in that game mm. and more sprints than I think about five or six of players on one of the teams combined and it's just, I mean it is an insane amount of ground they're having to cover it back and forth and obviously it's not just that it's that if they are not in exactly the right position you know Sam one of the referees Premier League referees said I was kicking myself a few weeks ago because there's a decision I got I think I got wrong and if I know if I'd have been two paces to my left I'd have had a perfect view and I didn't because there was a player in my way and that's my fault you know the players can go where they want I'm the one that has to move to be able to see and he's like I'm just kicking myself because I should have been two yards to my left and I think Jesus mate (laughs) don't worry about it but obviously you do have to worry about it now because if you get something wrong then you're the worst person in the game exactly exactly All right. next up let's look at Saturday's games For most of us, January means New Year's resolutions. But for the footballing world, January means one thing. Transfers. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. 
So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. If you're listening to this on Monday the 22nd of January, then happy first football match to be broadcast live on the radio day. It was on this day in 1927. Arsenal played Sheffield United live on the radio. Uh, happy listeners gathered around the family crystal set. We're also furnished by the Radio Times magazine with a numbered grid of the pitch, which they helpfully printed so that they could follow the action and the ball's progress around the playing surface. Game ended 1-1, since you're asking. Some people, because the pitch was divided up into various areas with numbers in, some people believe that the phrase back to square one, which has been in the news recently, yeah, uh, originates from this, but some people say it absolutely wasn't. Sash, you've been involved in a bit of the to and fro on this this week. Uh, no, I was just following discussion that Barney Roney had with Michael Cox. Mm. I forget who was saying what. I do remember they were disagreeing. So about... Barney was saying that that's where it's from. Yeah. And Michael, it's not like him to disagree with people, <laughs> but he suggested it wasn't, that perhaps snakes and ladders or some other. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, or hopscotch. Michael was quite yeah, hopscotch. Yeah. I can't imagine Michael Cox playing hopscotch, but he feels that that's maybe. So you then very helpfully tweeted a picture, I think you took at Arsenal. Yeah. I, I didn't realize the date was, we were close to that date, mm. but in the Arsenal Media Center, above the food, you actually have a poster referring to this. And as Michael Cox pointed out, mm. the squares are numbered, apart from square one. It doesn't apart have a number. One. But Michael also points out that if you're the team playing in the opposite direction, then the ball going to square one in no way represents a return to some kind of starting point, quite the opposite. And as a further blow to the notion that that's where the phrase comes from, Norman Brindley, I remember, wrote in, Years ago, when this question was in there, I think Notes and Queries in the Guardian or something, he said, as a boy in the 1930s, I regularly listened to such broadcasts while following the movement on the ball on a football pitch chart in the Radio Times, which was divided into eight squares. Captain HBT Wakelham, commentator, gave the commentary while uh, Charles Lapworth would murmur, square three, square five, as the ball moved around the field. Wakelam never mentioned the squares and Lapworth said nothing else. Quite the double act. That was the co-commentary back then was just saying what square they were in. The phrase back to square one was never used because I guess that that was the only square that didn't have a number in it. Or why that would be, I don't know. Listen, have we gone on about this too long? Didn't perhaps? they used to say on the radio they'll play left to right? Didn't, wasn't that in that? This blows my mind <laughs> not anyway because I don't, I don't get the whole need for the chart. Like the whole point about radio is that you can you're using your voice to express where the ball is, and a football pitch already has markings. It has a penalty area, and it has halfway line. It has touch lines and side right. lines. Do you not just say the left back 
has the ball just outside the penalty area rather than square one. The ball. Why would you need to say this? I don't get the square. It's well, like uh, Daniel, you're saying this. On the, they were just trying of, it out. It's, it's, a, it's a century almost of commentary. That I is, suppose, yeah. It, we've evolved I to the point. 3D TV. Exactly. <laughs> Back in those days, they had literally no one had ever done a commentary on a football match before. They probably thought this was a good idea. It's like a primitive version of virtual reality. You just make your own um, pitch yeah. and you follow along and you can you see the game. The, exactly, yeah. 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 All right, we'll move on. Anyway, this this weekend, Arsenal were at home and it was to Crystal Palace. Let's have a look. Oh, they won 5-0. Was it because they'd been on warm weather training or was it because they were playing Crystal Palace? Well, I don't think they would have won this fight. This will sound silly because they won 5-0 and look comfortable for it. But uh, if they hadn't scored that early goal from the corner, mm-hmm. uh, I think this game would have been completely different as obviously it literally would have been. But... Uh, Arsenal are really slow. We know we've seen them before. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. They're quite slow to do everything they do. But when as soon as the game state changes and they have advantage, they can just play with a bit more freedom and the other team has to go to them. So they have control and they can just they just squeeze them. They're like a python. You want you want a snake to be all bitey and springy. Right. It's more exciting and dangerous. They're more the boa constrictor. They're type. more they're just like slowly doing it. Boa constrictor, yeah. 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 yeah, and I mean Arteta referred to this mm. after the game, saying basically game state changed, Palace had to open up a bit and then that that's where we finished them off. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, Arteta after the game doesn't usually say much that's, I think, particularly insightful, but he's looked pretty relaxed. I mean, they, yeah. oh, of course, he would have to off the back of 5-0, but I think he was relatively happy about the way things went. I, I'm still not sure about those fouls on the goalkeeper, whether they were fouls or not. Um, I st- I'm still not convinced that, as you're saying, maybe the game would have played out differently because I was looking, so I was behind one of the goals in front of North Bank, yeah. and I saw Mateti in front of me in the first half. And, and seriously, you know, playing as a lone centre forward for Palace, like, why would anybody do this? Apart, obviously, from <laughs> massive wages in the Premier League mm. and stuff like that. But it, it, it is very hard and you are so cut off. And I think, I know, you know, you have like Eze and Shloop trying to help you. But I think what Arsenal did quite well, they kind of cut them off quite well as well. Um, and also another thing that I think they did early on very well, Zinchenko inverted a hell of a lot in the opening minutes. And then he kind of stayed more conservative. And it was actually his pass that eventually set up the corner from which they scored. So yeah. I think they kind of smartly played the game. But what struck me as well is like it, was, I wasn't, it wasn't a very interesting game because I thought after 10 minutes once they scored, it's over. Right. You were there. Daniel, you were also there. Graham Potter was there, mm-hmm. uh, caught by mm. the cameras, which I, I'm sure a lot of people found significant given the amount of discussion going on about the management of Crystal Palace, your tweet from the game actually was only one valid question from the Emirates. What is the point of this Crystal Palace? Yeah, and and, and the, the point I kind of made in the match piece is that that sounds incredibly sarky and snide, but that's the question that Crystal Palace fans are mm-hmm. asking and mm-hmm. did ask with these massive kind of German-style layered banners, which just felt kind of the best thing Palace did all day, those banners, because they brought them thinking, we're going to get battered, our team is not going to try. The one time we try and commit players forward, Arsenal are going to break on us and score a third goal to kill the game. We'll probably collapse at the end and concede two goals late on because we look like we don't care. And all the while, Roy Hodgson will kind of look like this sort of rabbit in the headlights on the touchline, wondering why he signed a new contract. And that's exactly how it played out. Um, I don't know if the Potter thing has anything to do with it. I think he was speaking to Steve Holland Gareth Southgate's assistant before the game, maybe he was just doing some kind of keeping his eye in while Steve Holland was looking at, you know, maybe Eze or Bakaya Saka or whatever. Um, but I mean, Palace were just I, one of from start to finish, bar Mateta's effort and Eze's some production in very trying circumstances. It was as bad as you get from a Premier League team against mm. a you know there was no resilience, no no anything, no energy. 
they've got good players. You know, Tyrick Mitchell's good. Mark Gahey's good. They've got England internationals in that team, Crystal Palace, and they just look absolutely dreadful. I've no idea now what they were thinking about this season and it, it's it sounds like it's either going to be Graham Potter or, or Steve Cooper Steve Cooper we know right. they've in, we know they've interviewed Steve Cooper before when he was at Swansea I think so so they don't have um, a game I think until a week on Tuesday when they yes. host Sheffield United which a fair chunk of time if you were to be making a change of direction mm. is the is the feeling that something might be happening happening imminently on this? Yeah, well, I, I think it has to because Roy Hodgson's already said, I'm not going to be here beyond the summer. He's made that very clear. Um, now, normally, there are two reasons not to appoint mid-season. One is because you generally don't get the managers you'd want because those managers typically want a pre-season. And, and two is because things don't necessarily improve. I don't think Crystal Palace are in any danger of going down as we stand I think they're in de- more danger of going around if they keep Roy Hodgson than if they make a change and the two managers that we are led to believe that they'd quite like and understandably so are both out of work and might not be out of work in the summer so I don't see any reason not to do it now hmm. all right that's Palace Arsenal meanwhile we've a little bit down with faint praise JJ last time you were on you were talking about Arsenal and corners and how they had trouble defending them, but boy, are they good at scoring from them and the set pieces generally. Well, that's one of the only ways they score this season is through set pieces or uh, open play goals late on. Uh, tends to be what they've done or some counter-attacks now and again. But I mean, this is corner routines. I think match of the day, they uh, figured out that the trigger for what the, the routine might be mm. might be Odegaard looking at his socks in, in certain ways. So I thought it was interesting because I've spoken to a few set piece coaches before and none of them ever told me uh, what the triggers are but they're right. like oh you'll never guess what they are Right. and we were thinking it was me and John McKenzie we're trying to work out I wonder if it's someone in the crowd maybe someone in the crowd how many is like videos did you watch how many hours of videos did you watch I've watched a lot of <laughs> set piece videos this year but like been to certain grounds and like watching games trying to work out what the signals might be but it's quite clever if that is what Odegaard is doing because there's right. other players that will do that as well but I thought it was weird with the way they were playing like, like Daniel's talking about how Crystal Palace didn't offer any kind of um, I can't think what the word is. There was just no resistance to mm. Arsenal going through them quite often. We had Chris Richards. They played a back three, which I don't think they've done an awful lot recently. And Richards was man-to-man with um, Gabriel. And then Arsenal have these blocking routines. So they're just deliberately moving players to get into a new position to block. So they start in one position, they all move, and half of them are just to block other players to free up space for Gabriel, who's really aggressive going towards that back post. But they did the same routine about three times, and Richards lost him every single time. Still a really good header, I would say. You've got to get the ball there to do it. But that's Arsenal have relied on set pieces a lot this season. And like Nicholas Jover is really influential in how they... Well, he's their set piece coach. So he's fundamental to how well they are doing this year. And without that, they'd really look a lot worse than they do, I think. I know they're flying high at the table, but they're not... I still don't think they're really opened up yet. It might be that they do that in the second half of the season. We might see them open up a bit more and be more entertaining, possibly. Just trying to keep control of things. And, and you see what had the, the last few runs of games where they have where they haven't been great and you can see it slowing down and without that set piece uh, option they're not as strong as they could be. Hmm. But but also are you also suggesting here that Palace haven't done the homework? I don't think no because well first of all it's meant to have been that they've been away two weeks and they've come up with loads hmm. of routines now and it, they don't have the same routine like no team does the same routine every single week they'll change it every single week they'll have different routines going in there and the Palace will put Richards on there they took him off after the third time. It was two goals that Gabriel scored. Well, one was known goal, wasn't it? But there's a third one where he almost got the end of it as well. And after the second goal that Arsenal scored, that he was involved in, uh, they swapped. Although I don't know if the <laughs> I don't know if they were told to swap because Richards was suddenly uh, doing zonal marking along the six yard line, and then you had I think Mark Gay was just standing in the box and he was pointing. At, uh, I don't know if you've seen this. He's pointing at Gabriel because like, well, who's 
Isn't that, isn't that you? And then Goals? Richard's just like, yeah. slowly. <laughs> like, that's other that's people. like me at Power League, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe. I know, but then I get it, because he's just getting bodied by him. Mm. It's nothing you can do, right? Yeah. You're a pro footballer. Richard's is a big dude as well. Yeah. So it's not like he's, you know. The one thing that did surprise me, the one thing that did surprise me they didn't do is that, and I know he, he felt he was fouled for the second goal, although I think he just couldn't get to the ball. Mm. I'm surprised Henderson didn't start further out. If Henderson has started kind of on the six-yard box, six-yard line, but then it, it, I just think there's more of a chance of at least him being able to get to the ball and punch it rather than just being on his line. But at the same time, they could put maybe White there to block him off because I think in the situation where they had there, I think this is where actually keeper can get away with quite a lot, shoving it out of the way, or the defender needs to help him because it's obviously what they're doing. It reminded me a bit of West Ham because they sort of tend to overload the keepers, which not, not that many teams feel, feel like they do this day. back in the day. Blackburn back mm. in the day, so really put the pressure on the goalkeeper. And I just... Yeah, but that was the thing, like... Palace just displayed kind of quite a weak in-game mentality. And I think Hodgson after the game also was talking, well, we only really lost 3-0, 5 nils at the very end. But I was like, this sort of argument is just not very healthy. <laughs> it's that, when you're trying to, if you're playing that really defensive where you're trying to rely on um, out-battling your opponent and then hitting people in the counter-attack, you can't really galvanise people to it if they sort of know it's coming to the end anyway. Like, surely yeah. that feeds into the players. Mm. They know it's going to change. It's not particularly fun having to do that every single week. So it must this, the- come into it. As an effective kind of punchy response to your fans using a banner to accuse the club of accepting mediocrity, mm. saying it was all it was basically we only lost three 0 not five 0 It's not it's not quite the sort of hammer blow that those fans were looking for, is it? Something needs clearly needs to change. And I don't blame Roy Hodgson necessarily. He did a brilliant job when he came in last summer. They made a mistake in giving him another contact. It happens. It's how long this continues now that is what's damning because it should have been done a few weeks ago, really. Okay. Well, as mentioned, they do have a bit of time before their next game. Arsenal, also in action a week on Tuesday when they'll be facing Nottingham Forest at the city ground. Now, Nottingham Forest, uh, this Saturday tea time, were beaten 3-2 at Brentford in a game that Sasha attended straight after the Arsenal won. Sasha, one of your main reasons for going was, I think, to see the roar of the GTEC crowd as Ivan Tony made his return after eight months to football. They they put a lot of effort into it. There was like light shows and was there? yeah, there was um, yeah, it was very a bit WWE, very sort of mm. almost American. Uh, okay. And they dimmed the lights and right. there was videos and lots of like pumping music. Um, so a lot went into this. Okay, just on the subject of acronyms and Ivan Tony, JJ, you were saying a quite remarkable thing before we started today. What was that about Ivan Tony's full name? Oh, yeah. oh, that's <laughs> that's from a. Uh, is that true or not? Yeah, it is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very well known though. Is yeah, it's, well, it's from um, the, the popular email pop bitch and they uh, mm. pointed out that Ivan Tony's name is Ivan Benjamin Elijah Tony, which the acronym yeah, for is I bet. Yeah. yeah. He came back and with a bang. He came back, he came out, and three minutes later, Forrest scored. LOL. It was literally hilarious. The silence in the stadium. And it just completely killed everything for 15 minutes. Until the free kick. Until the free kick. Can he get round the wall? Ivan Tony. Oh, yes, he can! Oh, that's brilliant. What a return. Subject of much discussion. First of all, because it was a brilliant shot. Direct free kick. Quite a rare thing these days in the Premier League. But secondly, for the build-up, which saw him shifting the ball a couple of times, but then also picking up the referee's foam, marking the spot where he should be kicking from, and shifting it half a metre to the right to further aid him squeezing that ball uh, past the near post. 
a lot of work and thought went into mm. it, I think. Because I think also, as we discussed before the game, seems maybe Brentford players are distracting the referee as well. So he's looking, he certainly was looking very much the other way when Tony was doing this. I think uh, Brentford, for me, are the best set-piece team probably in the world. Uh, their set-pieces are unbelievable. If you watch them, they'll have corners. I went to see them play against Newcastle this season, I think it was. Was it this season? I don't know, maybe last season. But uh, they'll have a corner and they'll have five different setups for one mm. corner. You have no idea what they're going to do. And everything is about timing. So like, they'll have one... Say that their final form for the set-piece when the ball gets taken, there's another two or three forms after that that are all to do with timing. So if you go, if you'd like you go on the, the second beat rather than the third beat of the bar, then you're going to be out of time and then it all falls apart. But they do things that are completely wild that you'll see in that Nottingham Forest game. They were putting, they put everyone into the box, like literally everyone. There's not even someone back to recover because they know when it turns over, then they'll just have to run. They've got the fastest players to do that. It's kind of crazy, right? You think, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and you know what? Um, I was thinking about this one. Um, Daniel was talking about the referees. Are they supposed to know, realise what's going on? With Brentford, it must be a nightmare. Is it there to confuse the referees as well? Because, as you said, all different setups all the time. Yeah. And one of them was actually really, really good, which we ha wouldn't have seen before, when Tony basically peeled off at the back post and put it back in for, I think, Lewis Potter hit the bar. So it's, I, I was watching this corners in the first half. I was like, I don't know what's going on there. Like, how do you defend this? Well, the, even um, it goes into more with Brentford. Like, so the, uh, there's, um, lots of teams have thrown coaches and do things with throwers now, but they treat every single thing like that like a set piece. And it's not just that the first phase is part of it, but a lot of it, it turns into open play. So a lot of their stats, they don't show up high as like set piece goals because it's maybe third, second or third phase of a set piece is the actual. But they also positioned for it for all these breakdowns. It's all yeah. planned. Mm. Everything's planned that they've got. It's all, it's, it's crazy. So for all of this expertise, it's been a rotten run of results for them. And now they get their first win in, is it they, they lost the previous five. I think they lost seven of the previous eight. They beat, okay. beat Luton at home. And how but, much was Ivan Tony the difference? Then? I think he made all the difference here, to be honest, uh, because one moment of spark, or actually both chances first half he created, then I thought the game re quality really, really dropped. But I think what they did quite cleverly in the second half, so first half, I think Tony was kind of more alongside Mope and they were moving along the front line. And I thought in the second half, he kind of dropped in. As a second striker, maybe as an advanced midfielder, maybe it was more like a 3-5-1-1. By the way, uh, Brentford playing 3-5-2 against smaller teams. That's a new thing, I think, as a reaction to the bad runner results because they used to go 4-3-3. So I think he became that extra man, but also he's, he could get stuck in. So they get the corner from which they finally score. And I was like, yes, Brentford DNA pulls you through even if you're not playing very well. But it's because he gets stuck in in midfield and they eventually get the corner. And also the third goal, he sees it. It's the textbook thing of... With the midfield, like Ross Barkley, you know, when he set up the winner against Crystal Palace, there's a melee in midfield and he'll look up and just play this ball to the right, whereas there's a guy on his own, puts the ball in, and Mopi scores in the turn. So, and there was other chances as well. So I thought he was, you know, without him, like, how would these guys play, almost? Of course, you know, Frank, after the game, you know, had to pay everyone compliment, but I think he's absolutely fundamental to like coming back. I was also looking at, and I think something that was mentioned, I think Natalie mentioned it on Thursday's show, you know, with the Euros in mind. And almost I'm looking at this thinking, well, up top he did the scoring and then he can play deeper. Well, that's mm. a very good substitute to Kane. Because Harry he can Kane do both. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. And uh, cleverly, because I and think... Zayn takes an amazing penalty, Sash. I mean, yeah. if you, that, the time he's going to come on is probably... <laughs> yeah. He's not going to come on for Harry Kane, is he? He's going to come on in, if he's going to play if Kane's injured or if England are heading to a penalty shootout. And he's, the, he's England's best penalty taker bar anyone. Oh. So, yeah. You know what? I get the impression with Brentford, they've used this eight months very well. Okay, maybe officially they use this four months very well, but I think, I mean, I don't watch maybe enough Brentford, but I haven't seen Tony play like this before, and it mm. was way, it, it was way too polished. Also, Neil Mopey, he hasn't played with him before. 
he brought out the best of them. And I think, you know, they, as someone asked Thomas Frank after the game, you know, they all seem to raise the game. It's like a big players make other players play better. It's, mm. You know, it's what happens. And Neil Mope with his third goal in three, three I think. Yeah. Five and 17, five plus three, I think it's in the 17th. What a turnaround for him. But what an, I mean, what a turnaround for that goal as well. Turnaround for the goal, but also shows, you know, when the player, uh, confidence, like the whole thing, of, you know, mm. when he was at Everton, one goal in 32, it was rotten, fans went on top, on his back. Here, he comes back, resets, obviously partnership with Tony, and bang, he's, he's scoring. He looks like a proper player again. And he's right. horrible as well. He leaves the, like, a couple of times I could hear, guy goes past, he just lifts the foot in. And yeah, he's just a horrible to play against, Neil Mopé. So, and with them two up top, even, you know, Bermo is going to come back eventually. Mm. Uh, maybe they might rescue themselves. I mentioned for Chris Wood as well, though. Mm. Hey, Daniel, who's now scored in, wait, well, he scored six goals in the six games that Nuno's been in charge for. Any other positives for Forrest? There are positives in every game under Nuno. Chris Wood's form is, is certainly one of them. Uh, they are trying to be more expansive away from home is, is another. I mean, they're ending up losing 3-2 rather than losing 1-0. But there are positives, but they're going to have to sort out their set-piece defending. Um, they are they are really... Po- I know we've, you know, JJ and, and Sasha have spoken a lot there about the kind of, um, you know, the, the complex nature of Brentford set-pieces. But the, the, the move that gets them is the best guy in the air running to the front post unmarked which will always end in high yeah. percentage chances I know there's a bit more to that in terms of how the you know the decoy runs that players make but you'd like to think if, if you don't quite know what's going on one person would at least think to try and track Ben Mee's run to a, to a front post um, and yeah, they, they do feel like they're getting punished at the moment for, for every mistake and that's how seasons can unravel quite frankly I know the, the points deduction is I don't think they'll be in trouble without a points deduction, but depending on what that deduction is, they really could be. Okay, Um, four points above the drop. Luton, uh, who are currently 18th, have a game in hand on them. So mm. Brighton Wolves uh, is coming up on Monday, Sasha. Could I just mention one thing? Um, So I haven't been to a Thomas Frank press conference before. I just just haven't been. So I turn up there and it's set up a bit like a classroom, you know, like little little chairs with little desks on on them. The folding. Yeah, the the folding thing. So everyone's like sitting around. And guess who's at the front row? It's Jay Harris. I and and um, Thomas Frank comes in and he sees Jay and they all smile at each other. And the first four questions is basically the Jay Harris show. And Frank is so happy sort of answering his question. And it kind of gets the whole thing going. But I was very much like teacher's pet. But, you know, fair play to him. But it's a very good dynamic. You can see the results of Jay's excellent press conference uh, questioning in his uh, excellent articles for theathletic.com. Anyway, next up on today's show, we're going to be talking about some other things, including the latest action for what they are calling the best ever AFCON. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Afghan, the second round of group stage matches is almost completed. Uh, as we record, there's South Africa, Namibia about to get underway. Daniel, you're heading off pretty soon, actually, to the Côte yeah, d'Ivoire. Week on Tuesday, yeah. What, what do you what do you make of things so far? What's been the the best story for you so far? Well, the story in general has been maybe second tier, third tier nations overachieving and finally providing us with the the kind of genuinely competitive AFCON that we've been wanting for some time and, and doing so not by the kind of stereotypical group stage AFCON tactic of defending deep and hoping to get a draw. Um, I don't know if it's because the third places now go through in the enlarged tournament that's making these lesser nations feel well, we might as well have a go, but they are having a go and they're doing mm. so brilliantly. I mean, Cape, Cape Verde are the, mm. the story of the tournament so far. They've won both their games. They're four points ahead of Egypt and five points ahead of Ghana after two games, which is, um, I mean, they have always overachieved. It's a country of half a million population, but we didn't see this coming. Uh, that's been the story of the tournament so far. They are through, they are confirmed top of the group. It's both a blessing and a curse that the third places go through because it means that probably all the big teams are going to go through anyway. And mm. the, the suspicion is that they might sort of up their game when it gets to the, the knockout stages. But at the moment, it's the, the, the lesser ranked nations that have got their number. Cape Verde, whose latest win, 3-0 against Mozambique, featured that incredible 40-yard free kick from Bebe, the former... Man United player. Have you seen that, JJ? I have. I've seen. I've also seen how the goalkeeper attempts yeah. to save it. Wonderful football that we've seen so far. He's done it again! Look at that! He is unreal! That was a shot from that man, Bebe! Bebe! He gets yeah. knocked out of the way. The power on that shot. I think that, that goalkeeper, I mean, I only watched the highlights of this. Looks like he's permanently been electrocuted. <laughs> he's he's a little wriggling around and the definitely mistake on the on, on the baby goal. I mean he's really? going to nobody but, Oh no. What? It's the third time I've tried to say that joke because I couldn't hear Sash talking. Sorry, right. it sounds rude. Go again. Go, go, go yeah. Yeah. No, no, maybe no, maybe your joke is nobody. probably better than me. Nobody put baby in the that's good. Very nice. <laughs> is it? Uh, <laughs> Cape Verde, I was reading Nick Miller's piece about them, which he wrote uh, before the tournament kicked off. They got 25 players and they're all from 25 different clubs. That's nice, isn't it? Uh, anyway, what else has caught your eye? Namibia, they did Tunisia, Senegal have been all right. They got into the last 16 with a 3 1 win over Cameroon, who are not looking yeah. so clever. With Onana not looking very good at all. Oh, no, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, the, the North African underperformance in sub Saharan for Africa was kind of pre-tournament that was billed as like the big question. Algeria. Uh, Morocco will, mm. Yeah, Morocco World Cup semi-finalists on that form should win the tournament. Algeria should be, you know, should at least be getting to the quarters, maybe semis. Tunisia should be at least getting, pushing for the quarters. And so far, 
Morocco have taken four points, fine, they're, but they're the only North African nation to win a game. Algeria on two points from two, uh, Tunisia on one point from two games. So, yeah, that's the kind of big overarching theme, I think. And I should say, the pitches are an incredibly good nick, and I think that's helping massively with the entertainment value and the, the kind of standards of play. I hope they don't cut up towards the end of the tournament because they they look, certainly from TV and from what I've heard from people out there, they are three or four times better than they have been before at AFCON. So that's a huge difference. Do you think that those pitches are helping Abubakari Koita hit the ball very hard? Because that's my highlight. He's, he's, uh, his goal against <laughs> Angola, where he picks it up on left wing, cuts inside, just outside the D. Like basically, the keeper, it, it's in the back of the net before the keeper dives. And then he tried it a few more times, didn't quite work. But um, he plays for Saint-Rudin with all the Japanese lads in the Belgian league, where he scored oh, yeah. 11 and 20 uh, this season. He's, I think, top five goal scorers. And another shout to the um, Belgian league is, I saw Maher Mizahi, uh, you know, uh, bigging up my main man, ironic because he's quite a little guy, Moamura, who plays mm. for Union Saint-Gilloise. They signed him from uh, Lugano. I think at the start of the season, he actually scored an assist against Liverpool in the Europa League. And I think he has about 15, uh, maybe 13 goals in 15 games in the league. And he's been very, very good for Union Saint-Gilloise. And it sounds like, you know, he came on again. He came on for Algeria against Burkina Faso and got, got them going. Uh, so it's good, good to see. Good to see. Good to hear from Meher Mazahi. We should be doing that again in Thursday's show with his regular roundup of uh, events as uh, match day three of the group stage heads towards its conclusion. In fact, it will have been concluded by that point. Uh, Daniel, what's the key? What are the key games in this uh, match day three, the third set of group stage games? I, th- I think, I mean, the one to watch is Cape Verde, Egypt. Um, because although Cape Verde have already topped that group, they are fully on board with trying to knock out a major nation. And a salaryless Egypt are not often an, a pleasant experience. <laughs> so they are in big trouble. They they are in, you know, they're in, even a draw will probably take them through at least as one of the third places. But that draw begins to get very one-sided as some of those bigger nations go into third place. Right. That game coming up on Monday evening. Excellent. Of course, there's the Asian Cup as well. There have been one or two surprises in that tournament, not least Iraq beating Japan 2-1 in Qatar. South Korea potentially could be facing Japan in the last 16. That would certainly be a game to look out for. Anyway, we're going to do... I think are we going to look at what's happening in the Asian Cup on Thursday? Maybe so, maybe so. Now, the Totally Football Show European Edition is out on Tuesday by when... We'll know who's won the Italian Super Cup in Saudi. Boo. Inter taking on Napoli Monday night in Riyadh. We'll also be hearing from Raphael Honigstein on events in the Bundesliga, including Bayern Munich, their attempts to sign Kieran Trippier, but also them falling, is it seven points behind? Bayer Leverkusen now seven points behind after getting defeated by Werder Bremen at home, unthinkably, this weekend. Incredible. Of course, there'll be Spanish news and French news too in that. Full-time Europe, meanwhile, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, also out on Tuesday. And amongst other things, they're going to be talking about what the Ineos takeover is going to mean for Man United's women's team. Uh, Of course, Man United's women's team playing Chelsea Sunday lunchtime. What happened there? They lost. Did they? 3-1. 3-1. 3-1. 3-1. Um, yeah, that, I think there's a there's a sense that Mark Skinner is maybe taking Manchester United as far as he can. And, you know, I'm sure this will be on the pod, but whether the kind of new injection of energy from Ineos also means that, uh, that he might find himself 
looking for a new job. They mm. they were really good last season for periods, but yeah, they are they're just definitely now in a class below those top teams. Man United also in the news this week for uh, hiring a new CEO, Omar Barada, who was previously at City Football Group. He was at Barcelona, a head of sponsorship for seven years, which is certainly, you know, a field of great interest to Man United, traditionally. Anyway, don't, not sure when he's starting on that, but uh, we'll be getting to grips with who he is and what he represents in future pods, no doubt. think that brings us to the end, though, of today's edition. JJ, a pleasure as always to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Anything you've got up your sleeve for people watching The Athletic FC? Uh, there will be some videos this week. I'm not sure what everyone else has done, but I know okay. I've done something on Kevin De Bruyne. Have you? I, I have. It might be out of date now. It hasn't been published yet. So. Okay. <laughs> so might have to revisit that one again. I've got a thing on, uh, a very a very short video on what would, if Chelsea had bought a striker. Yes. And the, that striker hypothetically had converted the chances that the other ones had missed. Yes. Where they would be in the table. All right. Okay. And it's a 60-second long video, and I've almost taken this long to describe it to you. No, no, but that's, uh, I, I'm intrigued. Daniel, you've got the score, which you're about to wrap up as soon as we finish. Uh, yeah, and then I'm going to Harrogate Town on Tuesday, whose manager Ooh. has been in charge for about 15 years, which I think, I need to work out the math, but I think that probably means he's been in charge for about the same time as 50 of the other EFL managers combined. Um, I believe I've met this man. Didn't his Simon dad... Weaver. Yeah, his dad owns yeah. the club or something, no? Yes, it's yeah. a very interesting setup. Yeah, they're very, they're very non-league premier is probably their level, and everyone assumes that every year that they're probably going to go back to the national league, and every year they are sort of lower mid-table in League Two and having a lovely time. So I'm going to go Brilliant. and see him on Tuesday. And Sasha, uh, I think I'm going to spend the next couple of days worrying about the second leg of the um, League Cup semi-final, Liverpool at uh, Fulham yes. uh, on Wednesday. Marco Silva, I think he, we'll come back to this at some point. I think he's really underrated. I don't think he gets enough love or credit in England. And I think he certainly sometimes speaks like he doesn't. And he says, and I think if he can turn over Liverpool on Wednesday, it's a big statement in his career. Okay. They had a go at Anfield. They're a goal down. What will happen on Wednesday, of course, we'll be reviewing that and so much more next Thursday. For now, though, that really is it. Many, many thanks, listener, for being with us. Many thanks to Liam and Charlie in the booth as well from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.